It's your Kali. What's up? The following program was brought to you by Yolo Kali. Keeping it weird since 1997. Oh. Who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here. Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. Huh? Ah! Ah! Nah, you gotta do it like this. What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content, tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago. As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossip-spilling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to. Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode. The chances are low, but never zero. So strap in, and let's get into the show! The following segment is part of the Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2021 series, a collaboration between City Bureau and Yolokali Arts Reach in Chicago. the politics of this, the left psychotic so-called solution now to all the violence and all the anarchy and all the lawlessness and all the looting and all the arson uh, and violence is, uh, let's get rid of the police uh, altogether because that is apparently now their new battle cry. They want to abolish police officers. Outrage over police killings and harassment and the mass incarceration of black and brown people and immigrants has also generated calls to go beyond reform, to defund and abolish the police. This is the focus of our next guest, Mariam Kaba's new book. The reason why the book has been resonating is because of the uprisings and the struggle in the streets. Um, the fact that so many people around the country recognize the complete and utter failures and limits of so-called reform to actually do what people want, which is to have some little modicum of justice. Um, so I think people are impatient with incrementalism and are impatient with solutions that don't actually address the root causes of violence. And part of that is the fact that, um, you know, policing is inherently violent and that the starting point has to be to actually reduce people's contact with the police altogether. Throughout our lives, we are taught certain narratives that we grow up believing we should not question. When it comes to defunding the Chicago Police Department and the collective narrative around it, that has rapidly changed over the past year. Collective narratives are beliefs and perspectives shared or rejected by a community. We want to learn two things. What influences narratives and what power do these narratives hold? For this, we've analyzed the collective narrative the neighborhood of Little Village holds on policing, as well as the work the Defund CPD campaign has done to change it. My name is Cynthia Salgado. And I'm August Habitain. We will discuss some of the matters that have reached our attention and are affecting the residents of Little Village. These discussions are in regards of collective power via collective narrative. We already live in a, a world where we have police, where we have structures to incarcerate and jail and punish people. And what have those systems solved? That was Tynetta Mohammed speaking. We'll get to her interview in a bit. But first, let's get into this. 
Though collective narratives are shared among many, not everyone in a community will adhere to a single narrative. It is often the case that there are wildly conflicting opinions on topics from people in the same neighborhood or even the same household. I took to the streets of our neighborhood of Little Village to hear the different perspectives the people have on police and what shaped those attitudes. Uh, where do you get your news from? Mostly, I'd like to say podcast. De la televisión. Uh, mostly Facebook, uh, Instagram, you know, social media. Where do you get your news about crime and policing? Viendo las noticias. I'm not sure. I want to say, like, Chicago Tribune. Kind of like those big uh, news uh, outlets. Have you heard of the defund CPD movement? And if so, from where? I haven't heard much about the movement, although I am familiar with it. Muy poco he oído. Which of these four have shaped your views the most on police? Family, community, religion, or generation? Familia. I want to say community because, uh, like, my environment's pretty shitty, you know, living here in Little Village. You know, we always hear about, you know, gun violence or, like, you know, CPD doing or carrying out their job wrong. I would definitely say community just because I know that the perspectives of each community differ based on their participation within the police department and how much protection they are receiving within their local and communal areas. Being able to see the generational divide around the concept of defunding CPD is important. That's why I interviewed my family members, to get an insight on different perspectives and experiences and where those narratives come from. For some of us, the thought of defunding CPD is not new and does not seem radical. But for others, it is the opposite. Here's what they have to say. Where do you get your news from? My news I normally get from either social media or maybe like an app. Because I feel like I don't watch normal TV, like the local channels anymore, because I'm usually just watching like streaming services. So you basically just watch what, what you choose on demand. So any kind of news or I usually get from online or like social media, basically. Usually my phone. seeing an app. Where do you get your news about crime and policing? Mm, local news via my phone. I would say the same. I think primarily like Facebook, I'll follow maybe like ABC's Facebook page. And, you know, when they publish a story, it'll come up on my feed. But I think that's the, I guess, the primary way I, I see that kind of news. Have you heard of the defund CPD movement? No. I've heard of like the term, like basically like defund the police. I haven't heard of, like, defund CPD in particular. Have you heard of the defund CPD movement? Yes. Or how and where did you hear about the movement? How via phone, where, social media. What would you say makes you feel safe in your community? Personally, I, uh, I feel my neighbors, like, 
make me feel safe. For example, on both sides of our property, I have two neighbors that like we trust. We know they're like family oriented. Either <clears throat> my neighbor to one side, he's like a father of three, and you know we talk, and I know they're like good people I can trust. And then the other neighbor to the other side, I've known her since I was a kid, and you know we have a hundred percent trust in her. So I feel like that plays a huge part in us feeling safe and in our community. What makes you feel safe in your community? Nothing. Which of these four have shaped your views most on the police? Family, community, religion, or generation? Maybe generation. Community, not really. I would say generation, just generation due to my mother. Uh, community, I feel, you know, if you're not doing anything wrong, there's no reason, so, you know, the cops should even look at you generation I, I guess the views of my mother have some what like I follow some of her views and it's because of her you know I believe some stuff of course I believe my own stuff but you know I just feel her had a lot to do with it I'd say possibly family some of the conversations maybe like growing up between like my parents or you know my uncles or you know people from my family that either tell me like hey you if you ever run to the police you should you should or you shouldn't do certain things or be careful with the police because you know x might happen or z might happen so i think mainly family have shaped my views just like in conversations what are your thoughts about the police i i don't know i i feel like the police are just regular people just like just like you and i and Sometimes I feel that between just the power of social media and then news reporters and things like that, sometimes they're made to seem like they're the bad guys or like, you know, we shouldn't be trusting them. When you think of the police, do you feel more safe or fearful of their presence? Unfortunately, I feel either or. I don't feel safe nor fear. Now I feel they're just there. So how do you feel about the answers we got? Honestly, I didn't expect that. Well, I did and I didn't. Um, Honestly, from my family, they were shocking answers. How did you feel about the people in the neighborhood? Um, I I was not surprised with like, with the answers I got from like the older generations, you know? Like I was expecting that kind of short, short to the to the point yes we need cops like you know no elaboration kind of thing so uh i was expecting that because like how many times you heard you know like a grandma or grandpa like say that you know what i mean say say something else other than that yeah you know it's like you said i guess expected even when you're having a normal conversation you ask them a question and they give you a straight answer and if you ask them to elaborate they're like no those are my beliefs <laughs> next up the movement for police reform is not new but it has not worked out how many hoped that is why police abolition has been a hot topic we spoke with Tynetta, who forms part of the defund cpd campaign they are a part of the steering community which helps train people in the community Let's hear what they had to say regarding the collective narrative we hear about the Defund CPD campaign. How is Defund CPD represented by mainstream media? 
Um, I think that defund CPD is represented in many ways. Um, the primary way is something that is going to throw us into this state of fear and confusion. Um, and the reality is that we already live in a state of fear and confusion, right? Um, we already live in a, a world where we have police, where we have structures to incarcerate and jail and punish people. And what have those systems solved, right? Um, so when I talk to people about defund the police, or the things that I hear often is, that doesn't make sense, that sounds scary, you need to change your language, I don't understand. Um, and I have to tell people that this is not radical, this is not new. Um, we existed before police ever existed, right? Um, and the entire system of policing ever existed. Um, and if we do a historical account of the creation of policing, we understand that it came out of policing primarily Black bodies, right? Black people um, all over the United States and then eventually people of color all over the, the world, right? Um, through militarism, through imperialism and white supremacy. So, um, Policing has always been around in a way to enforce the agenda of white supremacy. And defund CPD is literally a crumb of the things that we are asking. Um, and yeah, I think that when, when I hear people talk about it, um, I think my first response is, how could you not understand? And my second response is, I have to understand that people want to feel safe. Everyone wants to feel safe. They want to feel accounted for. They want to feel like there are people who are going to be for them because they may not have those people in their own life. And the value that I find in that is that I remind them that we keep each other safe, right? Our communities, the people in our lives, our friends, our family, if they are invested in, they are able to keep us safe, to help us, to give us the things that we need. And it is not just us in our local community, in our nuclear families, right? But also our, our government, our structures should be employed to first keep us safe, to give us wellness, to give us the things that we need. And then second, to help us when we don't have everything that we need, right? And, or when we stumble or we misstep into a transformative uh, process or a process of repair. Um, because we're not always gonna get it right, right? We're not gonna get rid of the police and the people are gonna be perfect. And there's not gonna be people who do things that harm other people. The idea though, is that we come into community together and we rethink what the possibilities are. And the possibilities are beyond locking people up and putting them in cages for the things that they do. How does uh, the Defund CBD campaign control their own narrative? Um, by actively being in the community. Um, I think that you, your narrative is influenced by who you touch and how you touch them, right? Um, and so often we see police go into neighborhoods and their narrative is the narrative that they have. Um, 
one because they have a propaganda machine but two um <laughs> because they also are actively harming people in their in communities like so our work is to repair harm right our work is to create alternatives to harm our work is to show people that there are other spaces beyond the harm that has been enacted one via the state and two via police right as extensions of the state um and that's how you control your narrative right um even in the day-to-day like when you meet someone you are controlling your narrative by how you talk to them how you relate to them the love and uh and safety that you give to them and that is what we do we give that the narrative and understanding that even though this is scary so often people are like what the heck is defund cbd we also show them that there is another way possible for people in our world right um and that is revolutionary our relationships are revolutionary so you just mentioned how you know even the way that you talk to someone goes into play in how you control your own narrative so how can language be an intentional tool to influence a narrative Ooh, because the police love to tell you that people is violent they love to say it's violent it's violent it's violent Ugh. and then people go like oh the narrative is that we're all scared and hopeless and we need the police and what i have to tell people is that you know what's really violent you know what's really violent um not so aggressively very nice you know but you know what's really violent <laughs> what's really violent is that rama manual closed like hell schools on the south and west side of chicago right displaced um hundreds and thousands of black kids black and brown kids from schools they were going to put them in areas where they were very clear delineated like turfs and understandings people had in their workings forced them into these spaces they didn't have access to school some people had to tra- travel very far right to get educations some people just dropped out cuz you closed my school so where am i supposed to go now and then created an entire system of like violence out of creating these crosses where there didn't need to be those crosses instead of opening more schools funneling more opportunities for education and resources putting more um opportunities for mental health and wellness these things are close that is violence right like we have to understand that violence is not the person who is not only the person who gets up and commits harm against an individual right violence is the active work of the state to disinvest from black people and from brown people right we should not live in food um if if like people live in food oases right there's food anytime you need it fresh food we should not live under food apartheid right there should not be healthcare disparities the way they are they exist within chicago the the life expectancy should not have a 20 year gap between the west side of chicago and downtown right you're expected to live 20 years less just because you live on the west side of chicago that's a problem that's violent right people should not have to travel miles to get food to get resources to get things that they need people should not have to sleep outside when there's 
hundreds of abandoned, vacant, like lots and buildings all over the city. And people who do have houses, who do have shelter, they should not be actively displaced um, because of gentrification, right? And these monuments to gentrification, i.e. the Obama Center, right? So what are we doing to counteract that violence? Because that is the that is the big violence that creates the individual interpersonal violence, right? What are we doing to counteract um, the things that create systemic issues in our communities um, that get keep people from being able to get the things that they need? Um, yeah. We wanted to know. Uh, on the topic of combating narratives, how has the campaign worked to change the narrative of police reform versus police abolition? Yes, um, definitely a really great question. Um, by letting people know that police reform has always, 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 always been introduced. Like we've always had the conversation of reforming, revamping, putting putting cameras on, doing this, putting that, giving them this type of tech, use your taser first, this, that, and the other, all that stuff. It has not prevented black and brown people from being killed, from being jailed unnecessarily, from being stopped unnecessarily, from being harmed by systems of policing. No amount of reform has decreased um, the amount of violence that has been enacted by police going to people, um, nor has it prevented the amount of violence that happens interpersonally in our in our in our city in our country. Right. So there has to be an alternative to that beyond reforming. Um, and we're asking for abolition because how you get all this money? You get all this money every year. And this is, the interpersonal violence is still happening. What's happening? All I know is if I was making $1.8 billion, um, the whole city would be great. Everything would be pristine. <laughs> All the sidewalks would be nice. Everything would be accessible. Um, you could do everything you wanted to do. So, yeah, I think that is, there would be no homeless folks, <laughs> nothing. So, um I think that's the, that part of the, the conversation, right? A part of the conversation is um, what what have the police done that has enacted change through their reforms? Like you have re been reformed so many times. After a certain point, like we're realizing that this is a, ref a reformation from the same thing. It is you are reforming the clay. It's still clay, right? The system is racist. The system is based off of um, catching slaves, right? The system is based off of um, hurting and harming people when they do things instead of doing process of transformation. We talked about how we've had those conversations, but we'd also like to know, you know, how does the campaign um, Defund CPD navigate those same generational differences when organizing around, you know, um, like police abolition. Um, you have to be a great conversationalist and you got to know your stuff. Um, I think the biggest thing that happens when I have these conversations and people are like, hell no, 
hell no. First, I understand when it's a hell no. Like if it's somebody's like, it's not, you're not convincing me. We not having a conversation. I go like, you know, this is my stance. This is it. I might have to like move into the next person and have that conversation. Some people are not changing their minds. However, most people are. And um, no matter what the generation is, and you really just have to sit with them and have really good conversations um, and really lay it out for them. Like this is, this is what it is. This is, and this is how it could be if we reimagine something else. Um, as of recording this, uh, I believe there's going to be a hearing about um, a shot spotter. Um, this technology in our in our communities. Uh, can you tell us about, um, or can you talk to us about about this uh, this campaign? Would you call it? Yeah, definitely campaign. Love shot spotter. That's the meeting I came from right before this. <laughs> Um, so essentially shot spotter technology is audio surveillance. Um, it's a very racist system because it is primarily in black and brown neighborhoods. It's listening to you talk to your cat, your dog. No, it's not doing all that, but it is listening for very loud sounds, um, that potentially resemble gunshots, but it can't differentiate the difference between a car backfiring, um, construction work. Um, or anything like that from a gunshot, right? It contributed to um, police officers coming into Little Village um, and killing Adam Toledo earlier this year. Um, they got a notification that said, hey, there's gunshots going on in this area. And the issue with like audio surveillance um, and any surveillance is that one, it doesn't invest in communities to keep their community safe. And two, um, police come in and when they come in to communities especially communities uh where people of color live they treat everyone like a suspect right and so um the issue that we have as a campaign is that we thought this contract was up it was like contracts up we're good we're done the campaign's over a few months ago um and we came to find out um within a few days of what was supposed to be the the understanding that we had as a campaign, the renew the the potential renewal date of the contract came to find out it was already renewed, and CBD renewed it without even telling City Council. City Council did not know it was renewed. Um, and now the fight is to cancel this contract and invest this um thirty three million dollars into violence. Um, intervention and prevention programs. Um, we are about to have in Chicago one of the largest UBI programs in the country um, where 5,000 families will have the opportunity to get $500 a month for a year. And $500 a month is very impactful for so many folks, especially people who are like struggling. Um, and that program, I think, is $31.5 million. And I just can't, I can't imagine if we had the, the privilege of being able to cancel this contract, right, of $33 million and invest it so another 5,000 families could get $500 a month for a year. That's 10,000 families, right? Um, that would be amazing. So 
that's pretty much what the Shot Spotter campaign is. Um, and uh, we're doing some really great work, moving some really great things, um, and trying to galvanize the people towards it. What would you say is your favorite or most memorable aspect of working with Defund CBD? Oh, this is so cute. What a cute question. Um, it's so cute that this is all audio, so people can't see all the facial expressions I'm doing. Um, I'm where we are cracking up. But favorite moment in the campaign, um, I think was at the Juneteenth barbecue situation we had, you know, teaching workshops. Um, I was a part of that and um, it really just pushed me to deepen my understanding to defund the police, create my own narrative around it, um, train other people. And um, I got to eat some great food and it was on Juneteenth, what? Look at all the just correlations there. So um, I think that was my, I think that's my favorite memory. This segment was a part of the Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2021 series, a collaboration between City Bureau and Yolokali Arts Reach in Chicago. Produced by Cynthia Salgado, August Abitang, Grace Delvecchio, and Malika Lim. Edited by August Abitang. This podcast is dedicated to Malika Lim. Long live Malik. The following segment is a part of the Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2021 series, a collaboration between City Bureau and Yolokali Arts Reach in Chicago. This project is in dedication to Malik Aline, a young journalist, producer, activist, father, and community member. Also City Bureau fellow who collaborated with Yolokali this past season. May he rest in power and prayers go out to his family and loved ones. As reported by Levejo, the Levita Park is a accumulation of 15-year fight to obtain open green space in Little Village and decade-long struggle to clean up the former Zelotech Superfund site and the surrounding homes. Neighbors of the Zelotech site brought to Levejo's attention that they were suffering from skin rashes. It was then discovered that rain runoff from the site was floating into neighbors' basements. Elvejo organized the street neighbors to demand one, the homes around Silatex to be tested and cleaned up, two, the site to be remediated, and three, for the park to be built on the Silatex site. The space was remediated and transformed into a groundbreaking park. As a result of this struggle, a 22-acre park was built with the unique amenities such as largest skate park and largest playground in the city, as stated by Levejo. La Vita Park stands as a great example of community organizing to redevelop brown fields and create green open spaces in Little Village. However, 
Why must our black and brown communities settle for lackluster, mediocre green spaces and parks? We're taught to conform and appreciate what we're given from our higher government officials, lawmakers, and enforcers, but that ends today. La Vida Park, yes, was a huge victory for our community, but we should aspire for more in the beautification of our neighborhood parks and green spaces. In this podcast, we will discuss the environmental racism the South and West Side of Chicago face in regards to the lack of natural spaces compared to the North Side of Chicago. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Emmy. How's it going? I am so glad that we planned a trip to the park today, girl. Steph has been overworking us for so long now. We really needed this mental health break. Nothing like spending some time outside to soak up some good air and enjoy the sight of all the greenery. Mm-hmm. Oh, girl, we got here. We're at Little Village Park. Ah! What is this, honey? These cookie crumble sidewalks are messing up my posture. I almost rolled an ankle back there. First of all, we had to cross these dingy alleyways thinking like dead roaches. And the park is behind all of these commercial and industrial buildings. If we didn't even know about it, I bet no one would even come. It is so silent in the morning. Why can't we hear birds chirping? And look at this! There is so much trash and glass here and the Modelo bottles everywhere. All the hot Cheeto girls left their chip bags. And these trees, why are they so sparse and in lines like this? Don't even look natural. Not a piece of shade in sight. These trees are bolder than my Tio Jose. <laughs> Girl, uh, Jenny, what is that? Is that the Cook County Jail? How are we expected to enjoy our day of relaxation with the overhead view of a jail? The park is practically a backyard of the Cook County Jail. These jail officers are not only supervising the inmates, but they're supervising the children here. Not to mention that it stank like pollution because of all the demolition of the jail going on. It is so foggy and sticky, and it's barely 8.30 in the morning. It's literally a desert. It's empty. Where are all the people? Not a single person in sight. This park was death and afterthought into the community and was never intentionally planned. They sure were happy to build all their businesses, their factories, and their carceral systems. But what about the community spaces? They're essential for our day-to-day living, but sure don't feel like a priority in our black and brown communities. Let's ask some of the other community members what they think about this park. Ooh, look at that lady over there. Let's ask what she thinks. Miss, excuse me, what do you think of the park? It's certainly not the most peaceful park I've been to with all of the industrial happenings right next to it and it could probably use some more trees it feels a little less populated than and less patrolled than some of the other parks so i wouldn't say that it's completely unsafe what do you think about your community only having two parks petrovsky and little village park provided and why do you think you don't visit them well one there's a lack of like environmental i guess justice or i guess the awareness of the environmental issues you know little villages played with like issues about asthma like there's a factory almost on every street uh, well for me i usually don't visit them because if there's events i don't know about them and a lot of the parks that i do see around they're usually like run down and not really being kept honestly i think it's really unfair because i see 
other neighborhoods with a lot of green spaces, a lot of just green greenery. I think it just comes with the the thing of funding and just salary-wise, I mean, from the community, like income level. So obviously if it's a low-income neighborhood, um, like tax rates and all that, they can't afford parks or whatever luxuries. I don't know, I feel like parks and community gardens are more like safe spaces that allow youth to go and spend time there and just stay out of trouble, I guess. And how does that make you feel that in your community there's only access to two green spaces? You know, uh, I don't know what people are saying about it, but I feel very comfortable. This is my home, and it's still my home because my mother doesn't want to move out. And uh, I'm the oldest of ten. I got five, five sisters and four brothers, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Would you say your community lacks green space? Uh, it's been, uh, like, I've been away for maybe, what, 20 years? And... When they put this park, it was beautiful. And uh, it was nice and clean and updated and everything. And look at now. Are you content with the way it looks? Or mm, what would you prefer that? I'm, 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 it bothers me because I see the stuff is dirty and uh, clean up the dirty stuff, the garbage, put everything in place, you know, and keep it up. Because it looks nice still. It looks very nice. And as you're standing here right now, what is it that you're feeling? I feel very comfortable. No, I feel very comfortable. Like I said, I was raising this in this area for so many years and I love it. And what does it make you feel like? Because you said you're very familiar with a lot of the green spaces in Chicago, right? Yes. How does it make you feel when you see uh, communities on the north and and in uh, the loop that are, you know, rich in green spaces? Well, this is the thing. This is the poor stuff. But even if we're poor, we're supposed to be clean. That's all I know. It doesn't matter where you grow. I was raised in a, in a farm in Mexico. We keep it up nice and clean. We move up these areas and we have to keep it up. So if there were more green spaces, do you think that the youth would have like a positive impact in the community? Oh, of course, yes. How do you feel about Cook County Joe being right Nothing there? we can do. This that's thing, That thing is forever there. And it's gonna stay there. Nothing wrong. It doesn't bother me. You don't think that it bothers the up-and-coming generation? No, 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 no. You keep it to yourself. You do what you have to do. Who bothers you? Nobody. That's it. Yes, I wanted to pivot to the air quality. Okay. You mentioned that um, if the jail's there, it's going to be there forever. Well, right now they're demolishing three sections of the jail, um, and the air quality is really bad. Do you do you feel like you smell that right now? Do you feel... You mean the you pollution feel? thing? Pollution, yes. Mm, yeah, it does. But what can we do? One signature is not going to do nothing. When I say, come on, five people, they run like chickens. So I make my turn and walk away. And, and the, now in these days, it's not a family thing. I think they destroy it or I don't know. But uh, it is what it is, you know. Nothing we can do. Girl, I can't with this park. It's a mess. Let's dip. Let me call it Uber to another park right now. Por fin, ya llegamos. Sir, I ain't leaving no tip by now. Emmanuel, we just passed like 50 cafes while coming here. 
And did you see those teens wearing Chanel purses? Okay, okay. It don't smell like pollution out here or nothing. The tree smell like Chanel number five. Not a single bullet casing in sight. Wow, this is nice. Girl, all this is y'all white people right here. Okay. I see that the grass is greener on the other side of this red line right here. Mm-hmm. Look at the abundance of nature. We got tulips and daisies. And all the birds and bees. I don't feel like my organs are going to shut down at any second or nothing. That dog got Swarovski collar and everything. People out here with their groomed pets, spending time with their families and friends. And they're able to enjoy the green space. It feels completely natural. I would love to have a picnic here or bring my family. We can sit under the shade of all of these trees and enjoy our presence not think about our safety health just being able to sit down and relax here let's go ask some of these people what they think about the park we're at how does your local park the park where you are today make you feel good i love it because it has a great space for like this kind of activities and it has a playground the kids you know i have to entertain them in this covid era so we're not doing playground because it's hot today but we got bubbles and chalk and they're collecting art i mean like nature to do art later and i love the water area over there that splashes like it's very refreshing and i love it because i feel safe and the kids just run around and i don't feel uncomfortable um usually i bring my dog to the park and so we walk around today we're just here sitting in the grass we like to go to the dog parks if there's dog parks. I definitely feel very relaxed, very good in the park. Air feels clean, there's lots of nice trees. Yeah, it's a good day here. I feel very happy when I'm here. I love coming and seeing the dogs in the dog park. I love just getting to hang out in the green spaces. So yeah, I feel very at ease and happy when I'm here. Feeling pretty good. We've had a couple cups of coffee, so my heart rate's definitely up. But it feels good to be outside and actually be around people enjoying their day, you know what I mean? It feels a little bit less stressful at the moment. Yeah, uh, definitely less stressful, a little bit more slow-paced. I really do like Chicago, but uh, I wish we did have more green space because you're constantly surrounded by all this like metal and glass. And so it's really nice to just be able to come to a green space, kind of relax, have somewhere soft to sit that's also like... Not really in nature, but that represents kind of like a small part of it, at least. Um, what do you think about all the funding being allocated into this type of park and instead of green spaces like in the south or in the west side? That definitely is a bummer, especially like people in all communities deserve to have parks and places to go. So they shouldn't just be here for like the rich people. I would definitely prefer if there was more funding allocated to go there. I feel like there's more than enough spaces here already for people to do things. And I don't know like where else you could really put funding to in this park. Like, I know there are a lot fewer green spaces on the south side and the west side. Um, I actually used to work with green space renovation in the school system with Chicago Public Schools, very aware of how terrible the green spaces were, especially on the south side. I wouldn't say I actively visit them, um, but whenever I'm in those neighborhoods, I just can see that they're a lot dirtier and not nearly as well kept um, and definitely not as safe as well. Everywhere should have really good funding of green spaces and green spaces are just so important, especially with like safety and accessibility. 
Uh, I think it's a good example of like probably environmental racism, to be completely honest. The things that uh, the funding that impacts communities like these versus like the type of funding that like, you know, community parks get on the south and west sides, I'm pretty sure is like very skewed, very skewed. And it's just another example how, you know, money isn't necessarily allocated properly to the community to the communities that it needs to be allocated to. And those communities usually tend to be like black or brown specifically. So. Just the city needs to invest more in those like things. Like the city just like, I feel like the city just forgets about those areas. They just invest like in restaurants and other things and not really in the green spaces, which is one of the most important things in a community. Talk to Lori Lifeo be like, girl, like what's going on? Like the city is big. It's not only like these areas for sure. And what importance or role do you think that community green spaces and parks play in neighborhoods? A great part, like that's where all the people like get together, like really, that's where like people go to read and like meet their friends and like play with the kids. So like I feel like it's very important to found um, those parks, to invest more in those parks. I don't know the exact study, but I've, I've seen studies where it's been basically said that being in green spaces, being in nature is good for your mental health. So the fact that you have this green space, this artificial looking green space that's kind of next to a jail, which is probably next to a bunch of other condos and industrial buildings. I don't know if you can really say being in that space would give you any positive mental health benefits. You know, nobody feels good when they're sitting next to a jail. So, yeah. Definitely makes me feel some type of way about just the access that those communities have, you know what I mean? Uh, not just for mental health reasons, but yeah, just like the overall well-being, especially being in the pandemic. Yeah. Like, nobody wants to go necessarily and sit right next to Cook County Jail, you know? So, like, just the placement of it being so obscure is definitely just exclusionary in practice. Uh, I just think it gives the space to actually be with the community, you know what I mean? Um, and actually give, yeah, just the space to do that. He was talking about mental health and whatnot earlier, which I definitely think is a big part of it, absolutely. But just like the physical well-being, if there's not like a community space to, for people to go play with their kids outside or barbecues or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Or walk your dog or yoga practice or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like, if there's no communal space for that, then where are those things happening? Especially in communities that are already like restricted on access like that. I think first acknowledging what projects are going up in what neighborhoods that are like restricting the green spaces actually being made too, but obviously like reallocating the funding. Like there's no reason for the police to be getting so much money. There's no reason that we keep giving so much money to, you know, the north side or like downtown areas that are well taken care of and well kept when these other neighborhoods are not. So just acknowledging that reallocating of like any funds, obviously. Um, I don't know, there's just so many like nuanced like obstacles, obviously, yeah. but those are like the big two that come to mind. Yeah. And I, I do think there there is a lot of nuance there, but at the end of the day, it's about money. Just put the funding in different places. You know, think it. Yeah, we do. We we have the money. I mean, I get that Chicago's in debt, but you know, there's a lot of money flowing in just through taxpayer dollars alone. And I think people who live in the city deserve to have it properly distributed into the areas that they're already paying for. So I just really think that it's really just about reallocation of funds. Set your priorities in order. You know. Uh, we have the money to invest in the loop. We have the money to invest in, you know, the north side to build parks and build green spaces and put up new structures and, you know, put up new red line stations. There needs to be proper allocation of funding to create green spaces on the south and west sides for mental health reasons and just, you know, various other reasons. We just, we, we need the space. Girl, I've had enough. Let's go talk to a professional that could explain to us what it is that we are feeling because this is not right. Oh, oh my god. Let me call the Uber to my therapist's office.
Hola, Betty. Sorry, I had to schedule this last minute session. You know, when I come in with my venti ice caramel macchiato with extra whipped cream, that's how you know your girl has had a long day. Tell me why. I just came back from a bougie park on the north side. They had a dog park. Water park features, smelled good, all of it. You would never find anything like that here on the west or south side. It's it's like so unfair. Okay, Betty, so my question is, why is it so important for us to spend time outside to manage my mental health? And why is it important that communities have these green spaces? Quizá la importancia para la salud mental de estar en contacto con espacios abiertos debería de ser cada vez mejor considerada. En primer lugar, lo primero que nos ayuda a estar fuera de un lugar cerrado es que no vamos a estar en contacto o vamos a hacer lo posible por no estar en contacto con la tecnología. ¿Sí? Eh, y me refiero básicamente a espacios que tienen que ver rodeados de naturaleza. Está visto y está comprobado, y hay estudios que lo indican, que las personas cuando están en contacto con áreas verdes, con áreas donde no hay gran estímulos de propaganda o de marketing, las personas tienden a, re, a relajarse de manera natural. Entre menos estimulación, y con eso me refiero no estar en el downtown, no estar en el centro, sino estar en espacios abiertos, va a ser posible que la persona pueda estar en un estado más relajado. Una vez que se alcanza la relajación, las personas van a poder estar en contacto más con sus pensamientos y con sus emociones. Esto puede ayudar si la persona está, ha sido educada a escucharse y a no tener miedo de lo que escucha, sentir cómo se siente y probablemente pueda resolver problemas al estar mayormente relajada gracias a la estimulación que hay alrededor. O sea, es, es una combinación muy interesante. La relajación nos permite tener la capacidad de pensar mejor, quizá más lento, quizá con más detalle y a lo mejor lo puedo hacer mientras solamente camino, mientras hago ejercicio o simplemente me dedico a la contemplación. Entendiendo por, por contemplación es realmente ponerme a visualizar los pequeños detalles o los grandes detalles de la naturaleza que hay alrededor mío. Y esto puede ser en, en lugares que comúnmente la gente va a pasear, ¿verdad? Entonces, yo me refiero que sí, sí, estar afuera eh, sintetizando sería, me ayuda a salirme de una zona de confort que aparentemente es mi casa, me ayuda a darme cuenta que el mundo es más grande, o sea, cambia la perspectiva. Eh, no es lo mismo estar entre cuatro paredes en una oficina o en un edificio. Muchas veces el simple hecho de ver amplios espacios o horizontes más amplios eh, cambia nuestra fisiología, cambia nuestro estado mental y puede ser un gran ayuda uh, simplemente porque me va a estimular otro estado fisiológico y eso va a influir en la manera en cómo me pienso, cómo me siento y quizá cómo voy a actuar. As a mental health professional, do you think green spaces and mental health go hand in hand? And what do you think about, you know, the lack of funds and resources given to natural spaces on the west and south side? Claro que van de la mano, de manera natural, o sea, y por lo mismo deberíamos apoyar a crear más lugares como estos más cerca de los lugares donde las personas vivimos. 
Creo que la falta de fondos se puede deber a muchas causas. Uh, y no voy a entrar en detalle porque son muchas, es multifactorial. Sin embargo, creo que si podemos organizar más actividades para mostrar con más hechos, más evidencia, quizá los profesionales de la salud mental deberíamos de trabajar más con la comunidad para ser capaces de apoyar estas uh, ideas de crear más espacios. Nosotros también tenemos que salir afuera, como, como estamos pidiendo que salga afuera la gente, de, de prestar nuestra, nuestro conocimiento, uh, de usarlo sabiamente para que la gente pueda decir, oye, nosotros queremos que este lugar, en lugar de que se construya una bodega o que se construya... Queremos presentar evidencias de la importancia que pudiera o debería de tener este parque para nuestros hijos, porque la mayoría... Y hacer un estudio realmente, un proyecto donde también la salud mental o la profilaxis o el cuidado preventivo de la salud mental sea parte de las decisiones en cualquier barrio, en cualquier, en cualquier situación, porque lo dejamos de lado. Solamente a veces nos gusta que sea bonito o que esté cerca de algún lugar o estamos más acostumbrados a ir a un mall que ir a un lugar verde. Entonces uh, creo que tenemos también que, que ocuparnos de ser más... Uh, proactivos las personas que trabajamos en el campo de la salud mental para poder ayudarle a las personas que están buscando fondos darles evidencias eh, importantes qué tan importante es repito que existan áreas verdes alrededor de zonas familiares ¿Sí? eh, además de todo lo que pueda eh, surgir alrededor de esos proyectos creo que sí que tendremos que ser más activos nosotros en ese sentido Okay, Bethy, thanks for, you know, squeezing me in today. I really needed to get that off my chest. I might just take a quick trip to the park today or not. Who knows? Oh, also, I'll bring you a latte next time, girl. You know, you deserve it. You work hard. Hey, Emmy. Thanks for waiting for me. Let's go home now. Ugh, girl, let's. We've had such a long day. We went to two different parks, one on the west side and another on the north side and got opinions from people in both spaces. That left us with nothing but questions and major concerns, so we spoke with a therapist to see the correlation between green spaces and our mental health, a vital role in our communities that we often forget in our day-to-day -day life as we're off to work or school, passing around or through these spaces, spending time with loved ones at parks, or even actively avoiding our natural spaces, if there are even any in our neighborhood. I guess the last thing to ask ourselves is, what importance do we think public parks and green spaces play in our communities? My relationship with green spaces starts in my home that I think a lot of other Latinos relate to. Plantitas por toda la casa, taking in a broken little raggedy plant that your mom shoved into your room randomly, and then adopting one after another until my relationship with nature becomes a way of taking care of myself as I took care of it. This past summer has definitely highlighted that for me, being trapped inside and preferring outdoor spaces to hang out with friends and family over staying stuck inside or being indoors. It allows me to cleanse and ground myself like a restart button. My eyes don't have to stare at a screen and my brain doesn't have to compute any more homework or stress. 
And all these TikTok girls can try their hardest to hang up their little Amazon leaf vines in their rooms, but this ain't no Jumanji girl. Natural spaces are something irreplaceable, something precious that everybody has a right to. And I hope that everybody can learn to appreciate. For me, green spaces are essential to living. I work out in the park. I take my niece there to have fun. And it's a way to enjoy my neighborhood without having to spend money. And that's what makes it essential to me. I think green spaces are important because we have a lot of youth that kind of want to be in parks. They want to enjoy leisure activities and, and they want to have fun. And so youth should not be constricted to just being in their home or being involved in other things that might damage their mental health. So I think it's very important that we have green spaces for those that are struggling um, with issues at home or issues at school. It's, it's a place to breathe and it's a place to relax. I think the importance of having green space is kind of having it be like some form of a sanctuary, you know, for people of all ages, you know, not just children, even though parks are very much like related to children because, you know, children play. But I feel like people of all ages should be able to find something in the park that they enjoy, you know, such as older folk often say, I love coming for a stroll. It helps me with my health, but it can't help with your health if the demolition pollution is there. You know, you have people who love to relax and read in the greenery, but you can't do that if there's no bushes, no uh, trees around you that look aesthetically pleasing to you. Um, you know, children should be able to play around, be messy without worrying about scraping themselves on some like bottle cap shards of glass. It's just important that we all as a community collectively come together and say that we deserve more. We deserve to all be equal and have an environment and space for us to pretty much decompress, have fun, and have it be a place that we look forward to, whether it be on the weekends, once you're done working, when you come out of school, a place for sanctuary. This segment is part of the Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2021 series, a collaboration between City Bureau and your Locali Arts Reach in Chicago. The content was produced by Jennifer Lara, Emmanuel Ramirez, Coralie J, and Leslie Romero. Edited by Jennifer Lara and Emmanuel Ramirez. segment is part of the Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2021 series, a collaboration between City Bureau and Yolo Cali Arts Reach in Chicago. From the farm, to the transport, to our very own table, this is how we normally think of food. But have you ever thought about how we farm in the city and who has access to food in an urban setting? Large urban cities across the globe make up half the population of the world. 
and that requires a lot of land needed for crops. The land is becoming so scarce that eventually we will need a country dedicated to farming, up to the size of South America. We will most likely need a country just for this purpose, for extra land to supply countries with enough food. Because of this crisis, we're facing land access. We run into problems with the global food supply. So what are some solutions? For those putting their voice out there regarding this problem, the first step comes from recognizing our world has issues with food insecurity and then creating farms around neighborhoods. Due to the dependence people have on industries to get their food, we have lost that special touch of once being interconnected with our food and knowing how to grow it. Being interconnected with our food production is important because it allows our food to be fresher and we reduce fossil fuels associated with the transportation of our food. Bringing these local farms into cities can be the first step to solve this problem with food accessibility. Chicago is tackling food accessibility head on with organizations like the Love Fridge and Mercado de Colores, making Chicagoans excited to grow and buy produce locally. These organizations have re-emphasized Chicago as a city of kindness. In a conversation with Eric Von Haynes from the Love Fridge, a community initiative in the form of colorful fridges decorated by local artists, tasked with feeding people free and nutritious food in a sustainable manner, we talked about food insecurity in our big city and how the Love Fridge is helping people gain access to food all across Chicago. Our focus is food justice food sovereignty and access, right? So we work with mutual aid groups all across Chicago and we put fridges down with hosts that are community-minded and are normally already invested in helping the community in whatever way they can. When we talk about the food in the fridge, the way the food gets there is through organizations and local people who donate the food and who are part of the Love Fridge as a whole. People in the communities are free to grab food as they please. As Eric says, they do no policing of any sort. You may never know how they're going to put the food to use. Seriously, like if you're ever interested, like we have an artist inquiry forum, like, and I love finding ways to work together, you know? And after doing it for a year, we have expectations and we know something. So we're able to expand now because at first it's just immediate needs, you know what I mean? Immediate aid. So like art and stuff like that. Even though I'm a practicing artist and printer and it was not the first thing of importance. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times I always tell people we dangled the carrot with the fridges being painted, but it's really the least of my concerns. <laughs> like that they got painted, you know, it's great that they get painted, but who cares if you can't supply food or like, like to me, like that's so it's been nice to get it to a point where we can think about art because I believe in the paradigm art theory culture. According to the Great Chicago Food Depository, food insecurity is defined as a lack of consistent access to adequate nutritious food. People who are food insecure struggle to avoid hunger, a more narrow psychological condition majority of our neighborhoods facing food insecurity are children, older adults, and working families. Food insecurity may be a temporary challenge caused by job loss, illness, or other short-term setbacks for some people. According to Feeding America, many Americans are only one paycheck away from facing food insecurity. 
with an estimated 1.7 million Illinoisans receiving SNAP benefits. The recent pandemic has further complicated access to food across the city. I would say, I think it was really bad. It's still super bad. It didn't get any better now that people, things have opened up. Everything's escalated in price. There's neighborhoods on the south side that don't even have clean drinking water. Um, so there might be people that have homes, but they still don't have access to like what we would consider the necessities of life. I think what the pandemic did was illustrate how bad things really were for people. Because all of a sudden, if you didn't have access, you were really limited to like how you could even like find things, right? Like, um, cause things were closing. And, and so we really try to focus on food apartheid, areas where food apartheid, we don't use the term food desert. You might see it populating things a lot. There's two reasons we don't use it. First, uh, deserts are a naturally occurring phenomena. There's life in the desert, it's natural. What we're talking about is unnatural, doesn't make any sense. And second off, it also eliminates the idea of people having agency. And that's what we're really all about is making sure, I want y'all to understand, like we do a lot of food rescue and support, but the community does a lot too. Like the community itself supports these sites. Otherwise they would not be sustainable. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, the developed world was already facing food insecurity as a growing problem. The United Nations World Food Program states that food insecurity grew from 135 million in 2019 to 265 million in 2020 alone. In this pandemic, we saw lots of firsts, one of these being the PEBT card for Illinois students. Students who receive free or reduced lunch also have to get their own EBT benefits on top of what their family might have already been receiving in food assistance programs. The love for has turned some heads due to interest in their progressive approach and the new ways kindness has raised people's stomachs. Another organization taking steps to tackle food accessibility is Mercado de Colores, who are not only engaging their community to support local businesses, but also doing so in a way that benefits our world in the long term. In Chicago, a city with 17,000 residents per square mile, there is a struggle for people to shop locally and in a healthy manner. The goal of Mercado de Colores is to help its residents have an area to shop locally in Little Village, a neighborhood that hadn't had this opportunity. Hola, primero me gustaría que se pudieran introducir ustedes. Mi nombre es María Ruiz y soy directora y fundadora de Un Nuevo Despertar. Es una agencia sin fines de lucro que ayudamos a sobrevivientes de violencia doméstica, hombres y mujeres. Además, no solamente violencia doméstica, sino que les referimos con abogados. Aquí tenemos uno, pero también referimos para toda necesidad legal. También distribuimos a despensas de comida, eh, muchas cosas. Tenemos muchas cosas, tenemos grupos de apoyo, tenemos consejería individual, tenemos un especialista en salud mental, tenemos a... Um, Varias, varias cosas tratamos de cubrir, o no es que tratamos, buscamos eh, cómo cubrir todas las necesidades de las personas. Bueno, yo soy Mara Flores. Eh, bueno, yo soy ecóloga y estuve trabajando varios años en, en la villita. Ya ahorita ya no estoy viviendo ahí, <ríe> estoy en Nuevo México. Uh, y bueno, pues yo me integré aquí al equipo del Mercado de Colores hace, me parece que dos años. 
uh, porque estuve trabajando en los jardines de, en varios de los jardines de ahí de, de la villita, en la escuela de Poscali y en los jardines de enlace también. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Dulce Morales, uh, Dulce Margarita Morales. Uh, soy cofundadora de este Bio Fresh Produce. Uh, nuestro huerto está en el 325 West de la 70 que es Englewood. También tenemos un jardín comunitario que se llama Eat to Live a cruzar la calle del, del huerto. Uh, soy cofundadora también del Mercado de Colores y de Colectiva Oculima, que es una colectiva para BIPOC Farmers. Uh, entonces, uh, que, con, uh, que son un equipo de cinco diferentes farmers. Aparte, uh, somos uh, también servicios uh, y dulce, uh, como dulce, soy también parte de Inglewood Village Farm, Farm Coalition. So, uh, como estamos en Inglewood, también uh, somos parte del equipo de Inglewood. They have not only helped local growers and their businesses, but have also helped vendors who sell a wide range of goods such as honey, candles, and plants. Community markets like Mercado de Colores have popped up across Chicago with local markets from Wicker Park to Lincoln Square and all the way to Pullman. Even with organizations like the Love Fridge making food accessible to residents and Mercado de Colores providing an opportunity for communities to shop locally, the issue of food insecurity remains. So now we ask you, how can you help your community reduce their struggle and their battle with food insecurity? This segment is part of the Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2021 series, a collaboration between City Bureau and Yolokali Arts Reach in Chicago. The content was produced by Miles Juarez, Media Jurado, Adrian Villanueva, Rocio Villasenor, Samantha Callender, Jennifer Bamberg, and edited by Adrian Villanueva. And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at... Oh, not you again. No! Hey, yo, who let her back in? <laughs> and that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard. Heartwarming interviews, tear-jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices. Because God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow YOLO on all their social medias at YOLO Kali. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of What's Up? What's Up? What's up?